You are listening to Serve, Protect, Lead, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police, where you will hear from ICP leadership and police leaders across the globe, sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. This is the first of a series of original podcasts addressing the FBI CGIS policy modernization effort and its impact upon American public safety agencies and industry providers worldwide. The ICP and its LEIT section working group producing these presentations encourages listeners to submit questions about the CGIS policy update podcast so we can better serve you, the listener. Greetings. You know, change is a constant in public safety professions. I know this is no shock to you. As you may know, American criminal justice information sharing has a policy to guide sharing, one established by the FBI way back in 1992. Changing times require changing policies also. Fact is, the FBI CGIS policy is changing to meet modern challenges impacting American public safety entities like yours. Aided by the Advisory Policy Board, or APB, which is comprised of public safety executives from around the country, the CGIS division of the FBI has done its level best to improve CGIS policy to protect all criminal justice data nationwide and beyond. I'm David Shipley, Executive Director of the Colorado Information Sharing Consortium, the co-vice chair of the IACP LEIT CGIS Policy Modernization Working Group, and your moderator for today's discussion. I can certainly relate to the challenges of change. You know, I handed in my script for today's podcast and our editors didn't change one word. That one word was change. Okay, welcome to the first of at least six IACP endorsed Ask the Expert podcasts. We have four experts on this topic who will inform and empower you to begin this CGIS policy update journey where you live and work and to answer some key leadership questions shared with us by folks just like you. The podcast will cover one of 18 CGIS policy primary security control groups and their key subtopics. Let me introduce to you our popular and highly informative panel. First, from the athens Clark County Police Department in Georgia, Deputy Chief Keith Kelly, co-vice chair of the LEIT CGIS Policy Modernization Working Group, and an esteemed member of the FBI APB. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Next from the South Brunswick Police Department in New Jersey, Sergeant George Vitt. Sergeant Vitt serves on the board of the IACP Law Enforcement Technology Section and on the working group as well. Sergeant Vitt was a hit in San Diego and no doubt will be today. Welcome, George. Thanks for having me, Dave. Next, we extend a warm welcome to a first-time panelist who is the CGIS Information Security Officer, or ISO, and CGIS Compliance Supervisor for the Kentucky State Police Information Technology Branch and Technical Services Division, Mrs. Erin Marie Oliver. Thank you for joining our panel. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Finally, another tremendous personality and expert in this field with nearly 30 years of service in the FBI, and the FBI CGIS Division Information Security Officer since 2017, Chris Weatherly. Thanks to you for being here, Chris. Thank you, Chef. I really am honored to be here as well. Outstanding. Uh, well, welcome again, and thank you all for taking time to be here today. Panelists and viewers, today's challenging agenda covers the CGIS Policy Security Control Group Awareness and Training. 
ready to go? Let's do it. Do it. Okay. Policy AT-1 requires agencies accessing certain CGIS data to develop, document, and disseminate the agency's organizational level awareness and training policy to all personnel, including implementation procedures for policy-related updates. So question, how is this generally different from earlier CGIS policy revisions? Uh, Chris, could you get us started? Absolutely, sir. Um, with the siege of security policy and modernization, there are 18 security control families, and each one of those security control families has its own policy and procedures associated uh, specifically with that uh, security control family. So in this one, we have awareness and training policy and procedures that agencies must create of how they're going to be meeting the awareness and training policy within the siege of security policy, and also the procedures uh, they will use to to implement uh, said policy. One of the things I often talk about in, in front of organizations is that inherit what you can. If your CGIS systems agency within your state has uh, an established awareness and training policy, inherit that policy. Now, your local agency uh, procedures to meet that policy may be different, but definitely inherit what you can. I'll agree with that, Chris. In, in Kentucky, we have a standardized policy that agencies, much like you know the FBI, they can go above that, but they can't go below that as far as policy-wise. We give them a standard set policy of what they should be meeting, but they can go above and beyond that for their own agency needs if there's something that they need to add to that. So we do highly encourage that, that they use our sample policy, which is you know, an available document on our CGIS Launchpad to the agencies. You know, Chris, I think uh, one thing we could take away from from the training is, you know, the training is meant to for for the officers that are actually using it to to show them, you know, to operate within those parameters. But when you think of it, I think from an executive level, and and if you're now I'm on the side of where we're, we're planning our budgets and our capital budgets and improvements for our agency to make sure that any further that the more familiar you are with the standards from the training, the more you can think ahead when we're planning some sort of infrastructure or some sort of security improvements in the future with our capital budgets. Because what would be worse is to chase good money after bad and find out that a solution um, is not up to the latest standards. I'll add as an executive in a law enforcement agency, um, we're set up similar to Kentucky in the state of Georgia, and we're looking for these standards to push out to our officers, but as George was saying, um, also looking forward at uh, the future and, and how to build our organization out further. Good deal, good deal. It, it, it's, we're starting to get that flow. I, I, I like that, that, that movement here. Um, now, now that we've hit that, let's see how we do with this next one. Are you ready? As we continue to talk about training in policy AT-2 and it's sub A, requires agencies to quote, provide security and privacy literacy training to system users, including managers, senior executives, and contractors prior to accessing CJI and then annually thereafter, instead of biannually, and within 30 days after an incident for individuals specifically involved in an incident. Now, question. If an organization does not have qualified staff on hand to create this question, this training, 
can or does the agency need to contract with a subject matter expert to accomplish this requirement? How do you do that in Georgia? In many states, I think the training is already available online um, and they're trying to further build that out. Um, so it's really up to uh, the organizations to uh, follow up with that online training. I will say to your original point, I think this is something that we do with a lot of our systems. Cybersecurity is key in ensuring that people are following policies with our related systems. So this is something we see a lot of value in just for maintaining security and compliance with the CEGIS systems that we access. Does it sound the same uh, on the East Coast uh, or, or even in Kentucky? We already have the security and privacy training available to all of the agencies um, that they that we provide for each individual, no matter what the user's access is, if it's direct access or they're just a manager, um, IT provider, um, any sort of access that they have, we already have that training in place for them that they all are required to complete. Um, so they wouldn't necessarily have to have a training implemented, but they could, if their own policy want to within their own agency, they can absolutely have their own training, but they're required in our state to complete the standardized training that's already developed and out there for them to complete. You know, and I think what I might add is, I think what was helpful is if for, you know, there's different uh, accreditation bodies, whether it be state or national type of accreditation bodies. So I think, you know, as long as those accreditation bodies are in, um, in agreement and and they can come up with good standards for providing the the policy or policy requirements and proof. You know, I think that's one way to ensure that you know agencies, especially state and local agencies um, that are accredited throughout the accreditation bodies, are, are conforming to it. While we're on this topic, can an agency increase awareness as mandated by policy using one or more of the following: posters, inscribed products, email advisories, logon messages, and etc. And if yes, what are some examples? In Kentucky, we use email advisories, and there's even a logon message that we use with agencies as well um, to ensure that everybody's aware of the security and privacy training that's required. Um, and some of those actually um, emphasize on the confidentiality of information, um, and, and it's just a flag. And every now and then we send out an email that goes out to everybody um statewide that may be some awareness training update that was more uh, pertinent to what they're doing for their daily operations or maybe just for um you know chief operations on that side of it um if there was an update that we need to push out for that that the training was updated and maybe they should go back and refresh for the training we do do that here in kentucky do you confirm receipt um or how do you know that Dave Shipley got it in Kentucky? It's nice that you asked that. Um, Peak Performance actually has a new product that I'm getting ready to go live with for that very reason. And that is a messaging tool within their system that when I send an email, it'll tell me that person opened it. Whether they read it or not, the agencies do clarify that, well, we did read it. They'll sign a waiver. We did read it. Um, doesn't mean they actually read it. They just tell us they read it. But we do take in good faith that if it says it's opened and read, that they are aware of the information. Just similar with you, George. So in your experience, especially on the road. 
I mean, we've seen the uh, the warning messages as well. You know, I think uh, after you've logged in, you kind of um, get used to them. But I think you know one of the best um, training tools is is you know unfortunately the reason why we're here is because people have used uh, sieges information inappropriately, and I think using those as learning lessons, kind of like hey, don't be that guy that got in trouble, don't be that officer that got um that got uh you know in trouble. I think those are sometimes, unfortunately, the best uh, learning tools. Hey, Ship, this is Chris. If I may, uh, if I may interject here a little bit, you know, the the whole spirit behind this actual requirement was, you know, to make security fun, to make reminding the agent, the uh, the individuals that are using this information, make it fun for them, make it easy for them to remember. Hey, before I do this, is this something that that is you know permitted? Uh, is it something that's in the best interest of information security? So if you have funny posters or you know number two pencils which you have inscribed security slogans on there to hand out you know to your to your personnel uh those are some great examples that i would think of as well we're trying to make this uh something that's that's you know interactive and easy to remember and you know may maybe add a little a little fun to it as well you know that's a good point chris because um I, you know, I remember when i was in the military you know there would be signs everywhere for opsec and they had creative posters you know you know highlighting operational security um i think it's it's a, a great investment if and a good reminder to people um even if it is just throughout their day excellent excellent um i, I really enjoyed that the, the number two pencil idea make it fun <laughs> uh, their their careers are at risk as well so <laughs> yeah um, I, 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 our next topic though Let's, let's moving quickly forward here involves policy AT3, uh, which talks about the agency providing annual role-based security and privacy training to personnel with the following roles and responsibilities. Number one, all individuals with unescorted access to a physically secure location. Number two, general users and three, privileged users. The question is the FBI or our CGIS systems agencies going to provide standardized training content? Or are the involved organizations going to be responsible for building their own content? Chip, this is Chris. Um, so the FBI, we we manage the CGIS security policy for um, the CGIS Advisory Policy Board, which is made up of constituents across the, the United States law enforcement uh, community. Um, in, within the policy, we define what the curriculum must be, right? But there's we, we really don't find define any standardized training content. We tell you what the curriculum must be, but as far as building that content, um, the CG security policy has always been vendor agnostic, uh, not really concerned uh, how you meet the requirement, but if you're meeting the requirement. And I'm sure that uh, some of our uh, esteemed panelists today can give us more information on how they're doing that within their states. I see you nodding, uh, Keith. So, uh, that's that resonates in Georgia. Absolutely. This is something that we're very uh, stringent and following through with our organization. Um, obviously, we have the recurring training uh, related to access of our CGIS systems that occurs, but this is something we also look at from a network perspective and ensure that our staff have an understanding of uh, security in general, but also how it relates to the dis different systems that they're allowed to access. Who may determine if an organization's training content is sufficient to meet the requirements? Is it the agency head? Is it the um, 
local, the state, ISO? Is, is there somebody that can help with this? Here in Kentucky, um, I actually am the one that approves if this training is um, compliant with the FBI CJA security policy and its updates moving forward. Um, I, I make sure with our CSO that he understands what this training is and that we, if we need to update it or not, typically it's already updated for us. But we do add some of our own training to it as far as our NCIC users um, that have direct access to criminal justice information. It's part of their actual training. So instead of biannually, they're doing annually so that they're not doing two separate trainings. The standardized training, as you say, the content, I don't think it's really necessarily standardized. It just has to be compliant with what the rules and the policies are. Okay. Um, so let me see if I can ask another question. Um, this time, though, it's just we've got this pretty well covered. This time from Awareness and Training 4. How should, I think this is related, how should agencies document this new and increased level of training? And how long is the agency required to retain the training levels? And is this information subject to a public records inquiry? Sure, this is Chris. I can, I can speak to the, uh, the how long. Uh, within the CJA security policy, it does state that agencies will retain those training records for a period of three years. Um, so how that equates to when the, the FBI CJA's audit unit comes out, they'll be looking to ensure that you have records dating back three years from the day of their visit. Uh, that's what they'll be looking for. So um, that's how we'd look at it from an audit perspective. Um, and I'll let the states, uh, our other uh, panelists here, talk about um, how they're documenting uh, that that record keeping. Keith, you've you've got looks like you have something. So in Georgia, uh, we're responsible for maintaining that through our local training records, and uh, we document the training that way, ensure that everybody's in compliance. Have you all found that there are public records requests asking that information, or would that be uh, exclusively limited to some issue of an investigation? You know, we, we get a lot of OPA requests. Um, I have not seen one yet for, for the training, um, but generally I find that it's one of those, it's not a problem until it's a problem. So like my office, we handle the training and documentation. So just keeping accurate records. Um, and sometimes it means just, you know, chasing down officers that were either on vacation or sick and make sure that they completed by a deadline so we have it. Um, you know, that typically is the most challenging part, but you know, we always have to be prepared for any type of OPA request. I will say that we have had an open records request for this very information from one specific county that likes to challenge a lot of the policies that we have in our state. Um, and they wanted other agencies training records. They didn't believe that everybody was being held to the same standard in our state. So we had to provide training. We are actually over all the training in the entire state as far as, you know, CJIS is related or CJI background results, what have you, we're over all of that. And we actually keep the training records for a lifetime. So you far exceed the training records and the FBI has no issue with that. You, you can, just like in Kentucky, you can exceed the requirements, just don't do any less. Right. Okay. Well, let me, let me throw you a, a little different 
question now on something that came up in San Diego. I, I think all of you are more than uh, qualified and, uh, in fact, exceedingly qualified to answer. But occasionally agency leaders hear the term CGIS certified with regard to some technology service provided by uh, vendors and providers all around the world. What are your thoughts about this particular concept? This is Chris, and I, I love when this comes about. I love mm -hmm. when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I've got a, a service <laughs> provider come to me and says they're CGIS certified. I always tell that person, send them to me. I want to find out exactly who certified them because there is no FBI CGIS division certification on any product. Now, I will say that I'm a firm believer that any product, any service provider, any solution can become CGIS compliant, which means they're meeting the minimum baseline standards within a CGIS security policy. But there is no such thing as a CGIS certified anything. Yeah, I typically get tickled at somebody when they call me and say, well, I'm CGIS certified. Oh, really? How did you obtain that? You know, who gave that to you? What state gave that to you? Or, you know, I, I deal with this pretty often, actually, and I'm, it's not certified, it's compliant. Are you compliant? And then you talk to them some more and they're really not compliant. They just think it sounds good, so. You know, I think another thing when I've, I've looked at different solutions is, you know, it's a, this is the reason why the training is important. You have to know what needs to be just requiring because not every single thing in the police department has to be CGIS compliant. It's a stuff that has to deal with criminal justice information. Right. And I think, you know, I think I, there might be some good products that if, if it's not dealing with criminal justice information might be adequate and at the right price point. But I think that's where the training is important to know what is and what needs to be and what isn't uh, necessarily needs to be um, CGIS compliant. Uh, George, that is a great point. This is Chris. That is a great point because one of the things I, I bring about in many uh, talking engagements I have is knowing when the CGIS security policy applies and most importantly, knowing when it does not, right? Because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tough document. And Absolutely. I, think, I think you bring up a great point, knowing yeah. when it doesn't apply and, and, and we don't get wrapped around the axle with, with, with that. Great point. I agree with that. It's a wonderful point. Outstanding. Um, now, so real quick, let me sum up what we've talked about today, or at least what I heard today, and you can correct me and fix my impressions. Uh, we talked about AT1 and how sample policies, editing what already exists for your needs is really something that you should uh, welcome and inherit. Uh, those were your words, Chris, to inherit what you can and then adapt it to your agency to meet the needs. Uh, AT2, we talked about make it fun. Let, the, let these folks know, give them something memorable so that when they hit the, uh, a challenging spot in their career or position, uh, they can know that what's, what their limits are. Um, in AT3, we talked about uh, the FBI providing curriculum, but not content, uh, and, and that gives agencies the flexibility to adapt to the FBI stated uh, curriculum uh, while meeting the needs in their particular agency. And last but not least, uh, know when CGIS policy does not apply so that you can uh, avoid using the phrase CGIS certified because CGIS compliant is where we're, what we're after. And that sum that up fairly. Good deal. Yes. Um, well, I, I, I must say that uh, this has been an interesting and enlightening session for me. Uh, I, I'd like to say well done. Uh, I'd, I'd like to offer a huge thank you to our honored guest, 
uh, Keith Kelly, Aaron Oliver, George Vid, and of course, Chris Weatherly. Your time, talent, and expertise helped make these policy updates relevant and extremely helpful to our listeners, I think. To all of you in the audience, thanks for tuning in. We hope you will join us as we progress through the key CGIS policy changes in additional podcasts. Please leave a review and also share your CGIS policy questions so we can do our best to meet your needs as we progress. Our next podcast will discuss the CGIS Security and Control Group identification and authentication. Hey, as our working group mentor and chair Jim Emerson likes to say, we've only hit this topic an inch wide and an inch deep. So there's much more yet to share. So please join us again soon. So until next time, may your troubles be less and your blessings be more and nothing but happiness come through your door.